Let's face it, every story is nothing more than a bunch of clichés. Take, for instance, the King's Speech. Just like Goodwill Hunting, it's about a patient who helps his doctor. Just like American Graffiti, Dazed and Confused is a rites of passage set over 24 hours in the lives of high schoolers in their final year. Shutter Island is about a man whose wife commits suicide and he then goes on an imaginary journey to escape his heartbreak. Which sounds rather like another Leonardo DiCaprio movie. Let me ask you a question. You, you never really remember the beginning of a dream, do you? You always wind up right in the middle of what's going on. I guess, yeah. So how did we end up here? Well, we just came from the, uh... Think about it, Ariadne. How did you get here? Another film Inception resembles is Finding Nemo, because in the end, Dad has everyone safely back together again. And that ending resembles the ending to John Ford's epic western, The Searchers, which finishes off just like The Wizard of Oz, because they both show there's no place like home. Which is how gravity ends. And what about Oblivion and Wally? A lone figure charged with cleaning up the planet makes a discovery that might save all of humankind, or at least what's left of it. And don't get us started on Avatar, otherwise known as Dances with Smurfs. But then again, Kevin Costner's Oscar-winning western bears an uncanny resemblance to Lawrence of Arabia. There, a soldier in a colonial garrison is so disillusioned with his commission, he requests a remote posting. Upon arriving, he encounters the native population and is so enamoured, he sides with them against his own commanding officers. Which is just what Tom Cruise did in The Last Samurai. But then again, those scenarios can be traced to the true story of Pocahontas and Captain John Smith. All of which brings me to the fabulous Baker Boys. A drama laced with more than its fair share of romance and comedy, it tells the story of a pair of lounge pianists, brothers no less, who take on a singer to boost their struggling stage act. It's just an idea. I want your opinion. I know we go halfway in everything, right? You wouldn't say exactly halfway, would you? Well, we agreed if I took care of the business, I'd be entitled to a little extra. Isn't that what we agreed? That's what we agreed. If you're unhappy with the arrangement, I'm not. Be, you know, unhappy. I mean, if you want to assume more of the financial responsibilities, I'd be glad hey, Frank, to do it. How much for the singer? I thought maybe 20%. I figure with the additional bookings, we'll come out ahead. What? Two pianos isn't enough anymore, Jack. Never was. So far, so familiar. Movies about brothers abandon cinema. Force of Evil, East of Eden. On the Waterfront, The Godfather, Raging Bull, Rain Man, and the aptly titled Brothers. Siblings in such close partnership, they will probably come to blows. It's so old, you can trace it back to Cain and Abel. But instead of giving us that cliché, writer-director Stephen Clovis sets up another, and then studiously avoids it. Rather than succumb to the cliché of overnight success, you know, recording contracts, TV shows, and sell-out tours, Clovis works hard to avoid that familiar trajectory and, in so doing, delivers a story where the character's lack of success ensures the film's originality and enduring appeal. Is this where the auditions are? This is where the auditions were. We're finished. What about me? You're an hour and a half late. Yeah, well, I had a little trouble catching a cab. 
Punctuality. First rule of show business. This is show business? Look, miss, we're tired. You have gum on your lip, and we're going home. You see, just when the trio look as though they're about to hit the big time, and by big time, we mean performing in hotels that provide room service after midnight, just when you think they've escaped playing in bitty cocktail lounges, they succumb to the pressures of minuscule success and implode, and all their meagre little dreams are folded up and put back in the piano stool. I told Frank I'm quitting. Congratulations. As of now. Well, if you need a recommendation, you let me know. Hmm? Jesus, you're cold, you know that? God, you're like a fucking razor blade. Careful, you're going to have me thinking you're going soft on me. For the title roles of the Baker Boys, Clovis cast real-life brothers Jeff and Bo Bridges. And although I don't have the answer to this, I do wonder what Clovis would have done had the siblings said no. Get the casting wrong, and the whole thing would have looked less fraternal and more, well, if not brothers, who else would Hollywood have paired? As for the role of Susie Diamond, the jaded chanteuse the duo hire to liven up their act, Jodie Foster, Deborah Winger, and even Madonna were approached. They all said no, which was fine because it meant that Michelle Pfeiffer said yes. Which brings me to another cliché, casting is everything. Do you have any previous experience as a singer, Miss Diamond? No. Any entertainment experience at all? Well, for the last couple of years I've been on call for the AAA escort service. The Bridges brothers make for a great duo, and even though their characters can be tetchy, Jack is disdainful of everything while Frank is so focused to the point of being fussy, it is really Pfeiffer who puts the fabulous in the title. An actress of almost aching beauty, her talents had been grossly underused in the first half of the 1980s. That is, until Alan Alda cast her in the support role for his satire, Sweet Liberty. Pfeiffer's performance turned the heads of producers and casting directors alike. And in quick succession, she appeared in The Witches of Eastwick, Married to the Mob and Tequila Sunrise. Then, in 1988, with her portrayal of Madame de Dorvel in Dangerous Liaisons, Stephen Freer's delicious version of Christopher Hampton's play, she earned an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress. The Fabulous Baker Boys earned her a second nomination, this time in the lead role. And a few years later, she received a third for the small independent film Love Field. But then, in 1993, criminally, Pfeiffer was overlooked by the Academy for her performance as the tormented Ellen Alenska in Martin Scorsese's meticulous adaptation of Edith Wharton's Pulitzer Prize-winning masterpiece, The Age of Innocence. Does no one here want to know the truth, Mr. Roger? The real loneliness is living among all these kind people who only ask you to pretend. Okay, back to cliches. Chloe's script doesn't entirely succeed in avoiding all of them. But the ones he runs into, he treats in a way to make them enjoyable, if not at least palatable. 
and the biggest cliché that Clovis lets in is the one that provides the film with its iconic scene. singer in the lead role has to contain at least one scene where the character lets rip the pipes and ensures the audience that she is not pulling a Millie Vanilli. I'm not talking about musicals, where, unless you're Deborah Kerr in The King and I, Natalie Wood in West Side Story, or Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady, you're required to do nothing more than lip-sync to the dulcet tones of Marnie Nixon. No, I'm talking about dramas or comedies with showstoppers where the actress's charisma simply explodes with sexual bravado. Think of Rita Hayworth in Gilda, or Marilyn Monroe in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. A kiss on the hand may be quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. About an hour into the fabulous Baker Boys, Clovis offers up that cliché and lets Pfeiffer run riot with it. Or, more accurately, drape herself all over the lid of a grand piano. And in so doing, Clovis shows that is the way to use cliché. Embrace it, closely, so closely you squeeze it for all it's worth and then reshape it to your own advantage. And that is part of the reason why the moment is so memorable. More than just a show-stopping song, it is also a very original seduction scene. No one gets undressed, there is no kiss, and the soon-to-be lovers don't even touch, let alone look at one another. Another cliché is the entire character of Jack. A pianist so naturally gifted, you wonder what on earth he is doing wasting away his hours as the support in a lounge club partnership. The thing is that Jack isn't so much wasting his time as he is trying to reclaim it. His future is so long gone and he so harbours dreams for that which he lets slip away. He slips out into late night jazz clubs to play the sort of music which he hoped would have proven him an artist. Despite the film's title, the film is not really about the brothers, but instead about Jack and Susie, two wounded outsiders who briefly fall for one another but realise very quickly that if they were to stay together, their own brands of disappointment would only double down and ruin them both. They avoid honesty to the point that when they are forced to confront it, they go at it with knives, both blunt and sharp. More than Man of my 
than you know. This can be seen very acutely in Pfeiffer's performance, where, at crucial moments, she makes sure Susie not only avoids the honesty, but also Jack's eye contact. How can you trust someone who doesn't even look you in the eye? More importantly, it shows that Susie doesn't completely trust herself. As for Jack, his avoidance is verbal, resorting, as he does, to platitudes and aphorisms so banal that they eventually reveal more than he is willing to show. While Jack has long put up this disdainful veneer, so too has Susie constructed a tough facade that only reinforces how long it has been and how close she once was to a loving embrace. Try as they might, Jack and Susie have to go their separate ways, which means the film ends on a bit of a downer. But hey, that's a whole other cliché.